talk to you about praying resurrection and life. Would you turn to John chapter 11 with me? We're going to do a study, and then from that study, we're going to go into some time of prayer. And I'm praying that this study will loosen up your lips and your heart and your words to pray. And we're going to pray resurrection and life. Resurrection and life. That's the kind of prayers we need tonight. Amen? So let's uh, ask God to help us. Jesus, would you help us tonight? Would you help us, O oh God, to know how to pray to the living God, to the one who was raised from the dead, who is the resurrection and who is the life, that our prayers would be, Lord God, a prayer of Jesus. Amen. Let's uh, go to John chapter 11, and I want to take you through a, a brief study of this chapter. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We're just going to take this step by step. Uh, how many of you know that God is sovereign and Lord over all? Even when there is catastrophe in our life, God didn't step away from the throne. Even when there is illness, sickness, calamity. Anybody been through calamity? Right? Anybody been through sickness? Any of you have had some real trauma in your life? Well, God didn't step away, and that's why the trauma came. God is sovereign all the time. We don't like that idea that he could still be in control and these things are happening to us. I thought he loved me. Why doesn't he take care of me all the way? But isn't it interesting what he says about this sickness that's even going to be unto death of Lazarus? He says it has a purpose. Could it be that God could even redeem the failed things on planet earth? Could it be that God could even redeem sickness and disease, even death? Could it be that God could redeem everything broken and fallen in our lives? Could he even use that stuff? He's so marvelous, he really can. He really can. And he says that this is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So everything that happens in life is for the purpose of glorifying whom? Specifically, Jesus. Right? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Lord, to the glory of God. So all glory is through Christ Jesus. And so what's going to happen, he says, that God is in charge of this whole situation and it's all for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified. The Son of God may be glorified through this. So everything in our life needs to point to glorifying Jesus Christ. No matter what you've been through, it is going to be redeemed under the glory of Christ. Even your failing, now some of you are not going to like this, even your failing and even your sin can be turned around unto the glory of Jesus Christ. 
He can redeem us even from the pit of hell. How many of you know that? From the pit of failure. And Christ can bring redemption. It's called a testimony. How many of you can testify of how far you've fallen, but Jesus Christ went there and delivered you from it? Right? Jesus isn't afraid of sin. Jesus isn't afraid of our worst place. He'll be there for us to redeem us. And it brings him glory. That's how much he loves us. And that's what causes us to love him even more and more and bring him glory. This situation is going to bring sickness beyond what anybody could expect. But the sovereignty of God, Jesus knew that this is not going to end in death. But he died. But it's not going to end that way. So he knows the beginning from the end before it even happens. Can you give God praise for that? Yeah. Now remember that. That the goal of everything in our lives is to show glory unto God, is to give glory to God, even through the hardest and most difficult times. Because this isn't about your comfort. This isn't about you. This is all about Him. But through His love demonstrated to us, it brings glory back to Him. Let's go on. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Don't you find that an, an interesting contradiction in that point? He says, now Jesus really loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and heard that he was ill, so he waited two days. I, I, I thought it said, he loved them so much. I love you so much I'm not going to show up for two days. <laughs> yeah have you ever thought of that thanks a lot you loved me so much that you didn't show up how many of you ever feel that way when you're praying i know you love me i know you say you love me your word says you love me but you haven't showed up for two days could it be that he loves you so much that there's something something going on in what he's doing and what he will accomplish for his glory so he waits two days then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What? What's that got to do with anything? You wanted to go to Judea, and, and, and they're trying to kill you there. So why do you want to do that? And you give me some fortune cookie mysterious answer. What's going on? Well, what he's saying, he's trying to get to them, is the light is here. He's the light. He, it's day because Messiah is here. Wherever he goes, it's going to be all right. And so while he's here, he needs to get the job done. When, he, when it's night, you can't accomplish the things. And, and, and they don't get that. Later on, they'll figure this out. They'll get it later. Uh, but for now, it's like, yeah, whatever. After saying these things, he then said to them, look, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And the disciples said to him, look, if he fell asleep, he's going to wake up. <laughs> I don't want to go. They're hostile. They're going to kill us. If he fell asleep, he's going to wake up. And he goes, look it. Jesus then said plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. 
Okay, he had to really help them understand because it was just beyond their scope. And so Thomas pipes in and says, okay, let us also go that we can die like Lazarus. Well, that's a faith-filled community, isn't it? We're all going to die. Jesus is like, oh man, I'm glad. All right, this is going to be better than I thought because, you know, I could have healed him while he was ill, but I'm going to wait till he's dead because you guys got to see something happen here. But you know what? There's something interesting in this too. Uh, I, you know, I, I read it as if the, Thomas is like, okay, well, let's go so we can die like Lazarus. But what if we read it another way and that was that of one who was willing to give his life? All right, let's go. Let us go and die with him. In other words, Jesus, when you say go, I'll go. Even into hostile territory, even if we know they're going to stone you, let's go, we'll give our lives too. That's pretty brave. It kind of turns it around, doesn't it? And are we willing to be a people who will go with Jesus even unto death? You see, the Western gospel has taken death out of the equation. We, in fact, we even quote Revelation 12, how to overcome the devil. You know how to overcome the devil? By the blood of the Lamb and our word of our testimony. We all say that. And we stop there. That's not the full verse. Western Christianity takes the full verse and ignores the last part. How do you overcome the devil? Blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives even unto death. I like the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's more victorious. But you understand the church around the world? They understand true commitment. And, and we've taken, for, me, for us to preach this message about even going to dying, this whole message about dying and giving our lives, we don't like that. Western gospel's about our comfort, about us getting more money from Jesus, because if you give money, he'll give back. This is a good deal. And then you're going to have a blessed life and everything's really good and really wonderful. Isn't it great, everybody? Being a, being a Christian is just happy all the time. But that it's not, again, and we've flipped this whole thing out of all of the benefits we get. And what we've got to realize is that this gospel is to do one thing in our lives. Glorify Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, if you will glorify Jesus Christ, you will be satisfied with a depth of satisfaction beyond anything that this earth could give you, gold or treasures or anything else. But to love him that way, I, I want you to fall in love with him that deeply that you would say, it's dangerous, but if you want me to go, I'll go even to die. Because that's what I live for, is to die for you. That's what a living sacrifice is, amen? Are you with me? Are you with Jesus on this? All right. So the plot thickens. Let's go forward. And he says this in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Can you walk two miles in a day? Two miles? That ain't nothing. You can get there in an hour, right? Can't you walk two miles in an hour? So why is he four days late? It's not like you were really, really far. 
So it's near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Wow. Hey, something happened to Martha. Something happened to Martha. This is the Martha. Don't you remember when, when, when uh, Mary and Martha were serving, right? And, and Jesus began to teach, and so Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus to listen. And Martha's still cooking in the kitchen, trying to get all the food ready, and she starts complaining to Jesus. Mary's not doing anything. And Jesus rebukes her and says, she's doing the right thing. You need to put your stuff down and listen, right? But something, someone, she had a breakthrough. Only Peter's the only one who testified this declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus told Peter, that, you're right, no man told you that. That was revealed from God on high. So now Martha gets that download and she gets that revelation. And here you have a woman in, the, in this time period making that same declaration that Peter made. Now she makes it. That's awesome. What an amazing place to be to have you get the revelation of who Jesus is. You are the, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who came into this world. Yeah, I believe it. You're the resurrection and you're the life. And so now she runs on, she gets this revelation, she's ready to go. And she runs to her sister and she calls her sister, Mary. And she says, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly, they followed her, thinking she was going to the tomb to cry some more. But when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See, she's speaking faith. She believes that he could have healed her because she saw him heal people all the time. And so she, she, you know, she really had faith that Jesus can heal the sick. Jesus can heal the sick. But Jesus wants to bring them into a greater revelation. How many of you know the church needs a greater revelation of Jesus? Because we're believing Jesus to heal the sick, but we're not believing Jesus to raise the dead. We're believing Jesus to answer and, and fix small things, but we're not believing for Jesus to really do what he can do in all his glory. Because in our experiences, we've had to adjust our Jesus. We adjust our Jesus so we can still believe in him and make excuses for him because he didn't really show up the way we wanted him to. So we adjust our Jesus. Anybody understand what I'm saying? How many of you have adjusted your Jesus? Right? We tweak our Jesus. So that we still can love him, and he just doesn't do what we want him to do. Well, he's not here to perform for you. He's here to bring glory to God. 
And he wants to bring us to another level. And so Mary has the level of understanding, you could have healed him. I trust you. I trusted you. You could have healed him. And so she says this. And what does he say? He, he doesn't tell her what he told Martha. He's just grieved. And, and he says this, verse 33, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, look, where have you laid him? I'm just going to get right to business here. No more lessons, no more teaching, no more instruction. Let me just show up. They said, Lord, come and see, and Jesus wept. Shortest verse of the Bible. So the, G- the Jews said, see how he loved him. I don't know what Jesus is weeping over more. The condition of his disciples and those who have followed him who still don't understand what it means to be the Son of God, the Messiah, such a lack of faith. I mean, his, he needed to show his disciples this because they still didn't get it. Or is he truly weeping because he sees what death has done to his creation? I think it's all of the above. You know? It's all of the above. So it says some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind, have also kept this man from dying? Again, a limited Jesus. Jesus could have kept him from dying. Jesus could have saved him. If Jesus would have been on time, None of this could have happened. We go on. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. He's been dead for four days. You know, they didn't have embalming back then. They didn't, they wrapped him. They put all sorts of ointments and stuff on him, on the bodies, so that as it's decomposing, it, it, it's, it's not as horrible smelling. So they'd wrap them up. And, and, and he says, I want you to move the stone. It's like, whoa, Jesus, man. I like the King James. It says, by this time he stinketh. He stinketh. Man, this is bad. You don't want to do that. You know, there's situations where God needs to bring his glory and he wants you to go into a place that stinketh. I don't want to go to a place that stinketh. I want it to be all right all the time. He says, no, roll away the stone. By this time there's an odor and he's been dead four days. Now it's interesting Jesus waited four days because in Jewish and rabbinic um, culture, They believed that the spirit of a man stayed with him or a woman that died for three days. And so what would happen if someone who was dead and you revived him after three days? Figure, well, he wasn't really dead. His spirit was still there and they were able to revive him. Jesus waited four days. So by tradition, the Jews knew, but by the fourth day, the spirit departs and goes to paradise, Abraham's bosom. But Jesus purposely waited to make sure that everyone knew Lazarus was what? Dead. He goes on. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, what is that prayer indicating? Was he asking God to do anything? He wasn't asking God to do anything. He was talking to him out loud for whose sake? The people around, right? And, and it's almost like, God, I know you hear me. You always hear me. I'm saying this for them, okay? Now, let me ask you something. Can you say that about your prayer life? Can you with confidence say, Father, I know you hear me. I know you always hear me. Can you say that? Because sometimes we don't feel that. But if you are blood-bought, if you've accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you are born again and washed by the blood and the Spirit of God dwells in you, can you have the confidence that whatever you pray, Father hears? You really need to believe that. You really need to understand that. You need to understand your identity in Christ Jesus. You're a son of God. You have the same relationship to the Father that Jesus does. And that's what took place through, this, through the cross. You were baptized into Christ by the Spirit. So you have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus does. So this prayer is now your prayer. I know that you hear me, and I know that you always hear me. And so he's saying, I'm saying this for the people standing around so that they would believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice. The word cried means shouted. He shouted out, loud voice. It's, uh, it's interesting. I looked it up today. Loud is mega in Greek, and voice is phono. Cried out with a megaphone. I mean, he didn't, you know, pull out a, a megaphone, but I mean, it's the same thing. He blasted it out. Lazarus, come forth right? Come out. The man who had died came out. I think that's interesting that John writes that. The man who died, what was his name? Lazarus. Because he had to be very particular. Uh, Some commentators have said that if Jesus said, rise and come out, everybody dead would have risen and come out he says Lazarus come out and then John says the man who died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips with his face wrapped with a cloth Jesus said to him unbind him and let him go now when you consider this all of this was happening for one reason what was the reason everybody to glorify Jesus Christ so that everybody would understand who he is, the magnitude of who he is, and all that he's about. And your whole life and my whole life on planet Earth is to accomplish the same thing. For us to come to an ever-increasing knowledge of who he is, so that others may know who he is. And so there are situations that God puts us in that may be even unto death. Do you know how many Christians die every minute, every hour around this planet? So many. Through torture, through persecution, 
through all sorts of means and all sorts of ways. And there's one thing that's supposed to happen in all our lives. Whether we have a long life or a short life, what is it unto? To the glory of Jesus Christ. Look, at if we get this right, then everything else should fall into place in our lives. Our priorities become straightened and our understanding of our purpose of life becomes known. What's the will of God? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God. And in glorifying Him, you'll enjoy Him. We've got to get back to the gospel and back to the entire point of why we pray, why we live, and why we die. It's to glorify Him. It's to glorify Him. And on the way... Praise God if you have family that loves you and and healthy children and a a house that you live in and it's nice to have a car and gee, it's great to have a good job and all that is, that's nice, that's good. But if we've got all that and we haven't glorified God, then what have we really got? A man gains the whole world but loses his soul, right? Well, you got your soul saved, so from here on out, let's glorify God. So the whole point is to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and body. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. So even there are times when God has to take us through stuff so that he can draw out of us a greater revelation of who Jesus is. I'll be honest with you, some of the greatest uh, understanding I have of who Jesus is is when I've had to go through hell and go through a lot of hard times. It is there that I found my weakness and his greatness. So God uses these things, and that's what he's doing here. Now, what God wants from us is to bring this glorious revelation of Jesus into planet Earth, and he wants us involved. Isn't it interesting when he's coming to do his greatest miracle? He's done all these miracles. Jesus waited specifically. In the book of John, you'll see this, that the result from him raising Lazarus, we go on, and in verse 45, it says, The Jews plotted to kill him from this point on. Why? Because now he did something no man has ever done before. He raised someone from the dead. And now he's going to have more followers than ever. And the Jews could not have this. Jesus had waited till the time it was near for him to go to the cross. And he waited to bring the greatest revelation of who he was. Had to wait, had to wait, had to wait, had to wait. Because he knew when he fully exposed his glory, his enemy would kill him. And he would gladly go to the cross for it, but he had to wait till his disciples were ready. And so he gets them involved in this, his greatest miracle. How does he get them involved? He says, look at first of all, I want you to move the stone. Come on, Jesus is going to raise a guy from the dead. Wouldn't it have been cool if Jesus just went, boom, and the stone went, that would have been awesome. Why didn't he do that? Why doesn't Jesus do that? Why doesn't Jesus sometimes just really show some extra effort, some, some really cool stuff, right? Or just levitate the rock. It goes flying. So what did Jesus do? He's always training us. Always teaching us. He said, you go move the stone. It's too heavy. And it's going to stink. 
Yeah. How many of you know there's a lot of things in life that really stink? Anybody got that? Right? This stinks. This really stinks. And he said, I want you to move the stone. I don't want to move the stone. It's going to take a bunch of us. Yeah, we'll get together and move the stone. And how many times in our prayer life we're praying for something and we Pentecostals want God to do it all? Just take it away. Deliver me from this addiction. Just take it away. Will you throw it out? Just take it away. Will you puke it all up? No, it'll stink. Just take it away. Get engaged in this thing. You've got to get involved. You've got to make some effort too because he's teaching you in all of this. Can't you just make it all be good again? Yeah, but participate. Move the stone. And so there are times when you're praying for a miracle from God and you've got to roll your sleeves up and you've got to get activated in this thing too. And real life stinks and it gets really messy because we're in a fallen world. And this body's been decomposing, but I need you in the thick of it. Then the second thing is this. He says, I want you to remove the stone. So let me ask you, why did they put a stone in front of the tomb? He's dead. It's over. Remember all their statements? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Over. It's over. Put a stone in front of it, let's bury it, and we're going to have to move on. But with Jesus, it's not over. It's never over. How many of you have put a stone over a promise and a dream? How many of you have rolled a rock over what you had hoped for, and now you've just closed it off because it's dead? It's dead. It's dead and gone. I'm too old for that dream to be fulfilled. That was 30 years ago. Nah, they'll never get saved. No, God won't answer that prayer. And you roll a stone over it. And you seal it as dead. And Jesus says, you know what? I want you to, I want you to roll the stone away. Not again. I'm going to be disappointed again. No, you've got to roll the stone away. Take the stone of doubt away for God to work and call out what's in you. But if your will has put a stone of doubt there, he needs you to move it. Trust him. How are we going to trust him? He says this, didn't I tell you this was for my glory? How many times did Jesus tell them that Lazarus was going to live? Right? He told them at the beginning with all his disciples, this is going to glorify the Son of God. He will live and not die. Then he explains to them again. They don't get it. And he says, look at he's dead, but I'm going there so he can come alive. Then he goes to Martha and said, oh, I know he's dead, but I'm the life and the resurrection. He shall live. And then Mar Mary comes. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. And he says, aye, 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 aye. And then he prays a prayer. Father, I'm saying this to you because you always hear me, but I'm saying it for them. He gives us his word. He gives us his word. Over and over, he's giving us his word. How many of us trust his word or trust our circumstances? We're physical creatures. We end up always trusting our experience. But that's not faith. Faith is going not by what you see, but what the word of God says. Yeah, well, I tried that and it didn't work. 
But maybe God is bringing you into a new revelation like Martha, where you're no longer the same old Martha. And maybe this time, with you praying in a different way, with a new unction of faith and a new revelation of His glory, something will be different. You see, with God, it never has to be the same. Now, I'm talking hope to somebody tonight. I'm speaking hope to you tonight because that's the only hope we have to get past all of our depression, our anxieties, and our failures and our fears. That God won't keep things the same. And you're not the same person you were two years ago. You're not the same person you were one year ago. And so that changes the dynamic of your prayers. It changes the depth of your faith. And it changes the situation. It's not going to be the same old thing. It's something new. And you're not going to fall back into that pitfall because you're not the same person. How do I know that? Because you had encounters with Christ and He has changed them. We saw a change in Martha where Martha stopped complaining about her busyness and began to realize who He was. And So there's a dynamic shift and you're trusting the Word of the Lord more than you ever have before. And so maybe you prayed and it didn't work out that time. But you pray again because you're not the same person in the same position anymore. You've got a greater revelation. And then thirdly, he says, unbind him. Unwrap him. Receive this. Can you imagine? Jesus raises this guy from the dead and then he suffocates? <laughs> That would be horrible. He's got all the wrappings on him. He's all over. He had to hop out of the tomb. Here he is. You imagine how he stunk? He stinks. He's got all these bodily fluids all oozing out, and he's smelly, and he stinks, and everybody's like, awesome! Ew. Right? How many of you have been through a miracle, and it's a mess? The Holy Spirit, you know, we want everything clean. The Holy Spirit just creates a real problem. He does. You know, whenever you see revival, people bust out in the revival of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and everybody goes, that's such a mess. I don't think it could be God. You touch God, and you're a mess. The glory of God, you get in the midst of God, and and you're going to end up doing and saying crazy things because you can't contain the majesty of God. God rose this guy from the dead, and everybody's so stunned, he says, unwrap him. But that's our God. When God answers prayer, he answers prayer so that we will all marvel. Some people say, well, you know, the the really super spiritual people say, well, what are you so surprised for? Isn't that what you prayed for? Well, yeah, but I didn't know it was going to happen. It's so cool that it really happened. Yeah, it's cool, and God wants you to be that way. He wants you to go, oh my gosh, God is so awesome. Because he wants you to marvel at him. So he told them, you've got to unwrap it. And so how many of you haven't unwrapped what God's brought into your life? And God brings you an answer. How many of you know uh, the, the story about the guy who was in a flood, needed to be rescued? How many of you know that story? All of you? All right, there's two people who don't. So, right, okay, so there was a guy that needed to be rescued. He prayed to God, come rescue me, right? And so a guy in a rowboat comes by and says, come on, get in. He goes, no, 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 my God will save me. 
All right, so he rows away. Water gets higher. He gets on the roof. And so then the, the uh, Coast Guard comes in with their boat and comes through and says, come on, get in now. The water's rising. He goes, oh, no, no, I've prayed. My God will save me. Water gets higher. He's on the chimney, right? A helicopter comes by, drops a loaf. says, come on, come on up. He goes, no, 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 God's going to rescue me. Water rises. The guy drowns, appears before the pearly gates. said, God, what happened, man? I trusted you. I believed in you. You're supposed to help me. He said, look at man, I sent you a rowboat. I sent you the Coast Guard, and I sent you a helicopter. Right? How many times has God answered our prayers, and we haven't unwrapped them? We've not noticed them because we want them a specific way. And that one's too messy, and that one causes too much work on my part to receive it. Just because God did it doesn't mean you don't get involved or that you don't have to participate. Right? It's messy. You know what? Going out there, winning the lost, it's messy. They're not going to like you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to say things against you. But go out there and unwrap the dead people. So I close with this. All of this was for the people so that their faith would increase so that they would what? Glorify Jesus. But do you see the interesting way this story is told? They all started off with a lack of faith. Did Jesus say, you know what, I'm sick of all of you. I'm going to go to another part of the Middle East and try and reach somebody else because you people won't believe in me. No, he's long-suffering and patient. He kept waiting. He kept doing more and doing more. You read the Gospels and the, the disciples didn't get it and they moved from fear finally to faith they didn't even get it even up to the crucifixion they didn't get it even until the resurrection maybe a couple weeks after the resurrection when he finally showed up and he said to thomas who finally knelt after a week after his first appearance said my lord and my god he said blessed are those who believe without seeing that would be us now he works with us to increase our faith. And he wants you to understand who he is. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the one who holds the keys to death and the grave. He is sovereign over all. And everything is about recognizing who he is, trusting him, so that you will give him greater glory. And so whatever you're going through, God wants to increase your understanding of who Jesus is so that you can bring him greater glory through it. So we're going to spend some time in prayer tonight, okay? So I conclude with this. Three things we're going to focus on for your prayer life. Number one, ask yourself, is there a stone that I've rolled over? what God's trying to get access to. Is there a stone in your heart? Is there something blocking what Jesus wants to get to inside of you? You said it's over. I'm done. I'm not convinced. I'm not persuaded. He will be patient to persuade you, but he needs you to identify the stone and move it. Give him a chance. Some of you have closed God off. He says, remove the stone. You say, that stinks. I don't want to go there anymore. 
move the stone and let him bring resurrection to that situation. Secondly, did I not tell you so? Do you have a word from God to stand on? Do you have a promise from the Lord that he loves you, he'll never leave you, won't forsake you, he's here for you, he loves you? And whatever he's going to do, it's going to bring him glory and show you who he is. So did God speak to you? Do you have a word from the Lord? Do you know God said this is yes and amen? And then thirdly, are you willing to unwrap it? Are you willing to receive it the way God brings it out? The way God delivers it to you? Stop dictating the way you want things done from God. When he brings it out, unwrap it and take it. Might mean you're going to have to get your hands dirty. But do it. So let's spend some time right now. We're going to spend some time praying, worshiping, and just letting God move. All right? And I, I'll tell you what I like to do without going into long sermonettes and preaching. I do like to have people who want to come up. And sometimes to confess, sometimes just to say, I. I want to remove this stone. And so I'm going to put a mic up here. And if you want to, we're going to start with the first part.